Hey gang, it's Graham. What's cracking? So last weekend I watched the Goosebumps movie with my boys and they loved it. And my wife admitted that she, she knew what the books were when she was a kid, but she never read any of them. I started picking them up in probably first grade and read them all through elementary school. It was uh, you know, back when the model was to have an author, you know, pound out a paperback once a month. Um, which no doubt contributes to uh, R.L. Stein selling 400 million copies worldwide. Well, I mean, you wrote 60-something of them in five years, and they were massively popular in schools, and then they get translated, and, and here we are. Um, but in, in looking back on them kind of retrospectively and thinking about, you know, what is it that not only made them so enjoyable, but have kept them enjoyable to, uh, to future generations, you know, what is it that's so universal about them, I guess? especially as things become dated and kids lose interest. You know, why are these books still in print? Uh, and I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One of them is, you know, their accessibility. They're not really bound to their time necessarily. I can't think back to uh, any one of them being limited by an excessive focus on the technology of their day. It's not like I remember any of the books focusing on, you know, dad having a big brick cell phone or kids not knowing what the internet was or, you know things like that it's just you know it's mostly kids in small towns dealing with local mysteries but not always in a uh, in a scooby-doo type way where they find out that something was not what they thought it was and also harmless usually they find out that it it wasn't what they thought it was and what it really is is even worse um rl stein just kind of built a model on you know, hey, here's a couple of kids, and they find something weird, or something weird happens to them, or a stranger comes to town. Um, you know, the, the kids' personalities are somewhat universal, I guess. You know, each of them has different proclivities and stuff, but, you know, for the most part, he's just, he's writing kids that, you know, pretty much anybody can relate to. They, they might not relate to every single thing about them, but you can read it and see, oh yeah, you know, this is a standard American kid that you know, lives in California or Florida or wherever, you know, for the most part, he, he based these in real states, but might have made like a fictional town to have it set in so that he could create a local legend for the kids to get involved in or, or whatever. Um, but I think one of the things that set the Goosebump series apart, other than the fact that it was always, you know, something scary, it was, it was, you know, focused on a, a spooky subject matter, was the fact that they weren't they weren't stories that had a moral to it. I mean, you could probably learn something from the character's behavior and apply it, but these weren't stories that were set out to, to teach you something. You know, you get to the end and it's like, and that, kids, is why you should never play with matches or never talk to strangers or, or whatever. He was just writing for the, the sake of entertainment and imagination. And, uh, and that was that. And that's kind of given him the aforementioned staying power. But as I was thinking of the different Goosebumps books that I read over the years, I went and looked at the list online of, of uh, how many there were, and, and oh my gosh, there were a whole bunch of different spin-off series and whatnot, and back when Choose Your Own Adventure was a thing, um, they did their version of that called Give Yourself Goosebumps, and it was, you know, it was basically a Choose Your Own Adventure story, but it was a Goosebumps story where everything just went horribly wrong all the time, no matter which ending you picked, you didn't really win or find your way out. Um, but I was thinking about a couple of these, and I just wanted to share my favorites with you. Um, there ended up being eight in total. Um, I didn't go and force it to like make ten or 
limited to make five. I just remember going through the list and thinking like, yeah, all these years later, I still remember details of that one and that one and that one and that one. And so here they are in no particular order. Number one, piano lessons can be murder. Why was this relevant? Uh, because me and my siblings, uh, all of us were forced to take piano lessons as children. And um, none of us can play the piano now <laughs> in, a, in adulthood, although it was the, the basis of a strong musical education and, and it's what makes me kind of able to read music for, uh, for choir performances, um, you know, to an extent. I'm, I'm not gonna be joining anybody's permanent choir anytime soon, but I do a decent tenor and I can sing along to the notes and I know what the pianoforte and the diminuendo and all that Italian fancy crap stuff is because I had to take piano lessons. Well, this story was about a kid whose family moves into a house, they find a piano in the attic and uh, his parents are like, oh, well, we got a piano now, guess you're taking lessons, ha 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 And uh, of course his piano teacher is evil and uh, is obsessed with him and something evil happens and uh, there's a twist at the end because it's an R.L. Stein book. Um, not that any of my piano teachers were evil. I was a little turd sometimes to my different teachers over the years and I, I eventually just wanted to throw in the towel on it, but aha, don't you dare, you will, you will learn to play the piano. Ah, you know, this is my parents, but um, anyway, that, that one resonated with me. Uh, Deep Trouble was another one that was about this, uh, this family that the dad had a boat and he went and explored the uh the ocean and uh the kids got to spend their summer with him but oh no there's a giant octopus monster and um I remember reading that and thinking like despite the fact that there was a horrible sea monster trying to kill everybody uh it was like oh it'd be cool to be a scuba diver i wish i would learn some sailing knots and you know i, I could go on these underwater adventures with uh, the deep family yeah their last name was deep that sounds like something i would write uh, the Scarecrow Walks at Midnight, that one, <laughs> just basically don't trust farmhands if they're a little bit crazy, right? No, there was, uh, these these kids go to spend the summer working on their grandparents' farm, and uh, uh, it's not the way that they remembered it when they were even littler kids. Not, it's not all happy, fun, hunky-dory stuff, whatever. And they've got a, uh, I've got a farmhand who's working there for them, and it turns out that this dude is not all that bright and also dabbles in black magic. And so he was reading something from some, you know, ancient magic book, and it ended up making the scarecrows come alive every night at midnight and uh, do his bidding, and bad stuff happened. <laughs> I just remember the twist on that one where, you know, the, the kids are able to resolve what's going on with the scarecrows, but then at the end of the, the book, <laughs> for some reason the farmhand is still reading some black magic book, and uh, ends up animating a taxidermied grizzly bear that the grandpa has in the house. So, whoopsie. <laughs> uh, Attack of the Mutant, that was R.L. Stein kind of dabbling with uh, superheroes and stuff. The main character kid, his name was Skipper. He was a, a fat kid who was into comics because it was the 90s. Oh, owned. And uh, he finds out that his favorite superhero or super you know comic character was actually a super villain his name was the mutant he could turn into whatever he wanted uh was real and that uh life was actually really a comic book and skipper was a character in a comic book and he had to trick the the mutant and fight him and defeat him um the barking ghost that was one of those paperbacks that i carried in my backpack in seventh grade and probably read the cover off of it it was just trippy it was about these these uh, siblings or friends that lived out in an, uh, an old house in the forest. I want to say it was in Maine. It could have been somewhere else. 
and uh, there, there's this dog ghost that's trying to uh, trying to make contact with him and you know get him to do something. He doesn't know what it is, and he finally does it. And turns out there's this changing room in a shed in the woods or something, and uh, the spirits of these two people got trapped in these two ghost dogs, and they they drag. Uh, the boy and his friend down into the changing room and they get forced into the dog bodies and the dogs the, the evil spirits that were inside the dogs inhabit their bodies and anyway they're able to <laughs> drag the the dogs in their bodies back to the changing room but then when the change happens and they come out they uh <laughs> the there were some squirrels in the changing room or something so uh everybody's bodies are changed up and now you know the the kid who was in his own body and then in a dog's body is now in a squirrel's body because why the heck not just oh my goodness it sucks it's crazy calling all creeps that was about a, a kid who was a loser at school um snuck into the school newspaper and tried to play a prank on a mean girl by putting her phone number in the newspaper and be like oh if you're a creep give tasha a call or whatever her name was and Turns out Creep was a, a name of like a group of aliens that were living in town and could disguise themselves as humans. And they, uh, you know, they would have been calling the girl, except she saw it at the last minute and changed it to his name. And I think his name was Evan and his phone number. So now all these aliens are calling him. And as they're getting ready to conquer uh, Earth, they think that he's their leader. And he ends up rising up and getting revenge on everybody at the school by taking charge of the alien army, because why not? Uh, how I Learned to Fly. That one, I didn't think was was as creepy. It was actually kind of cool. It was, uh, this kid figures out, you know, there's, there's, a, there's some book that he finds in an attic somewhere, and it's like, you know, this is how you can fly. You got to make this, uh, make this formula, and it's all like, you know, actual ingredients that you can make in your kitchen, but then, of course, there's some magical mystery ingredient that's only included in the book, and if you make this thing and you eat it, you learn how to fly, and uh, he becomes awesome. Well then, like the bully at school takes the rest of the formula and he can fly now too and he's even cooler than the main kid and um, you know, the, the twist at the end is that they go to have a race to see who can fly better and the main kid pretends that he loses the ability to fly and so the other kid is like the better, faster flyer or whatever. Well, now the, uh, the government comes and grabs him and captures him and makes him do government jobs and they escort him everywhere because you have superpowers so the government owns you now and... Uh, Turns out the kid was just faking it. And he's like, haha, well now the government owns him and I can still fly and do whatever I want. And I was like, I actually agree with this kid. I think he did the right thing. <laughs> but the best one by far is called One Day at Horrorland. This, uh, this family's on vacation and they go to, um, you know, it's this, this girl and her little brother and his best friend. And they, they go on this road trip and they see a sign for an amusement park called Horrorland. And it turns out it's... Uh, it's actually run by monsters and um, you know everybody gets attacked by monsters but you can uh, you can fight your way free by pinching the monsters there were signs everywhere that say no pinching um, this one was my favorite because it was kind of cool the way that they escaped um, but they they made a follow-up to it that was a video game uh, where you could, it was called like return to horror land or something and uh, you could play it on your Windows 95 capable computer. I ended up getting a copy of it for free because I entered a writing contest in a magazine that was like, you know, R.L. Stein writes the first part of this story and you write the last part of it. And um, I entered in and they had a whole bunch of, there was like a first prize, second prize, third prize, fourth prize. And 
And the thing is, though, like there was one grand prize winner and then like 10 first prize winners and like 50 second prize winners and 75 something third prize winners. And I think they were just trying to offload a couple hundred copies of this game so kids could talk to their friends about it. And I was one of the, the third place winners. But my mom was always like, oh, he took third place in a writing contest in seventh grade. And I was like, mom, you're, you're kind of overhyping this one. But uh, I mean, you know, if, if my kid won something in a contest, I'd be excited for him too. So, I mean, it's not like I blame her for it. It's just, it's just kind of funny. But I love playing that game. I, I uh, you know, you walk through it and you can really only win it. You can't like lose or die at it. It's just, you know, how fast can you beat it type thing. But it was fun. It was one of those where like they did actual filming and put it on a sound studio and they did miniatures and they spliced it all together it was it was a cool bit of set pieces and stuff i, I enjoyed playing it and it really made, made me get into that book so it's it's really just a triumph of imagination we'll say for the sake of imagination and i think that's important as we move further into the 21st century and we get bogged down by this obsessive idea that our entertainment has to have a message and it's got to have representation and it's got to push a political view and it's got to make you agree with something or other or attack you if you're a bad person for not agreeing or whatever you know it's just here's an imaginative story and here's a twist and you can enjoy it and that's it and that was kind of a given 30 years ago and now it would be a massive novelty if entertainment was just that? What if it's just entertaining? What if this isn't some metaphor for some bullcrap that we are experiencing in real life? Like, if I wanted real life, I wouldn't read fiction, right? Imagine that. Anyway, that's my two cents on that. Well, what's your favorite Goosebumps book? If you enjoyed one, let me know. Uh, dreadpennies at gmail.com. Uh, I got off work early today, so I'm going to go home and get some writing done on Sheriff Porter. You guys know the drill. Drive safe. Be rad. See you out there.